This episode of Castle Ligne is brought to you by the Breaking the Lines Media Curated Football Opinions by specialists all over the world. Jump on the website to read the latest article. Uh, it was a, a fantastic one wrote about Aaron uh, Hickey, one about Patrick Vieira, the Crystal Palace coach, uh, and an interesting piece about data analysis and how to find talent in Denmark. Jump onto the website breakingthelines.com to also find all the podcasts released under the Breaking the Lines flagship. Today in Castellelin, the French football podcast with the accent, uh, me, Jeremy Magan, is joined with, uh, by uh, Baptiste from Le Classic Pod. Baptiste, who's, uh, who's a friend and who's on the podcast often. And we're going to cover the five new coaches who have joined Ligue 1 side this season. Of course, Christophe Galtier at Paris Saint-Germain, Lucien Favre in Nice as a result, Régis Lebris, the newcomer at Lorient, Paolo Fenseca, who's taking over Govenek at Lille, and Igor Tudor, who joined Marseille after the surprise resignation of Jose Sempaoli. Thank you again for listening. Rate the podcast, listen to it, subscribe, send me a, a message or a DM if you have any questions, comment, uh, and I hope that you enjoy this episode of Castellini. <laughs> So here we are for another off-season episode of uh, Castellini and, and we this week because I'm back with uh, Baptiste. How are you, Baptiste? Thanks I'm, for coming back onto the podcast. I'm great. Thanks for having me again. Always fun. Castellini, the podcast uh, about French football with the French accent times two today. <laughs> Baptiste, we're going to talk about coaches um, this this weekend. Last year, I think it was nine or ten new coaches in, in Liga. Uh, and this year, we try to slow it down. It's only five new coaches so far. The off-season is not over. And obviously, we've seen some some uh, unexpected changes. Um, you have, in your own podcast, in Le Classic, uh, spoken about the most famous new appointment, um, Christophe Galtier. Um, mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about your podcast and, and also, I guess, um, how, how good was that episode? Yeah, sure. So I'm part of a podcast called Le Classic, and we focus on... Um, you know, uh, French football history primarily, but sometimes we sort of chip in with something quite topical when it, we find it particularly interesting. And uh, obviously, Christophe Galtier moving to PSG was an interesting topic for us. So we just did an episode a bit about him, uh, you know, his background, the player, coach, uh, and manager, because he had a long um, career as an assistant manager, primarily to Amin Perrin. And, uh, and then we obviously talked a little bit similar to what we're going to talk about, which is is he the right man? Is it how tough is the job, etc.? So uh, no, it was fun. Yeah, have, please give a listen to to the classic pod and, and listen to that one episode because if you don't know who Galche is, uh, prior to being uh, Ligue 1 champions with Lille, uh, you you learn a bit and he has definitely a, a, a long career behind him. Who uh, the, the the most uh, knowledgeable of us would know that started in uh, Marseille. So we'll talk about and which is also some of the issues that happened with him. Um, being appointed now Paris Saint-Germain's coach. Uh, so we'll talk about the five new coaches of the of this off-season. So Galche, we'll start with him. Of course, Galche going to Paris means meant Nice needed a coach. So Lucien Favre was appointed mm. for uh, for round two. And, and we'll talk about, you know, who, who has been really good in round two in, in a club. Uh, and then um, we'll obviously Igor Tudor is in Marseille, Regis Lebris in Lorient, maybe the lesser known of them all. 
and Paolo Fonseca um, at Lille will finish with Igor Fidor and Marseille. Actually, will will slot in the two other coaches in the middle. Uh, but but interestingly enough, it's only five coach, but it's five coach in I guess four main clubs and uh, and one club who's going to um, to fight for for survival. Just as a bit of a a teaser, since we're talking about the survival as well, this season, Baptiste, four teams are being relegated from Ligue 1 since we're going to 18 club at the end of the season. Um, how hard is that going to be for you know the the Ajaccio, the Auxerre, who just went up, uh, and the teams that were usually fighting for it, Lorient, Clermont, Reims? Um, how hard it is a season where you lose four teams and a season also who, as everyone knows. Um, will be cut in half with the with the World Cup in there. How how interesting and entertaining do you expect Liga to be this season? <laughs> I mean, it's it's uh, obviously it's always an interesting league, but especially so at the bottom because I don't think there's such a huge gap between let's say 12th and and 18th, right? Um, it's going to be a tough ask. I mean, even clubs that have survived this year, like Lorient, like Clermont, there'd be natural. Uh, you know, contenders for relegation, even with only three teams. Um, so I think it's going to be an exciting one. I think uh, the gap is slightly widening a little between Liga and Ligue 2. And so for the likes of Auxerre and Ajaccio, as you've said, it's going to be, it's going to be tough anyway. But, um, but you know, it's, it's, it's going to be exciting. I'm looking forward to seeing how they're going to try and go about it because I think each team has a slightly different way of, of approaching it. You know, Ajaccio is... Very, very defensive, very solid, and that doesn't necessarily translate at the highest level. And um, I think Auxerre try and play a slightly better football. And then Clermont, who obviously managed to stay up deservedly, and I was really happy for them that they stayed up because they played the right way. Um, you know, they got battered a few times, but they just had their own belief in their system. So I'm hoping, um, I'm hoping they'll pick up, and there'll be one team in there who people don't expect to be dragged down, but who will have a difficult. Uh, difficult season, I'm sure. Yeah, if, if and if there wasn't that change, that coach change at Lorient, I probably would have put Lorient in there. Now we'll see if there's <laughs> a new, uh, new dynamic coming in. Anyway, uh, we, we'll talk about it just a little bit later. Uh, let's talk about the, the the one coach that you um discussed on your pod, Christophe Galtier, and his appointment mm. at Paris Saint Germain. I guess uh, you know. Let's track back a little bit. At, you know when that whole saga started. Um, mm. Of course, there was the resigning of Mbappe. Uh, Luis Campos is appointed, rumors going wild about Zidane um, going to Paris Saint-Germain. Some Marseille fans very sad about the fact <laughs> that Zidane maybe was going to uh, coach Paris Saint-Germain. Uh, and eventually, um, Galtier takes the role. Zidane supposedly refuses for France, but then El Khalaiti says that anyway, he's never spoken to Zinedine mm. Zidane, as if we could believe that. Um, <laughs> and, and Galtier, who's the choice of Luis Campos? So I, I guess maybe the right way to do things. Um, mm. come in and, and he's the, now the newly appointed coach. First of that whole Netflix series, Paris Saint-Germain find a new coach. Uh, how did you find, how did you find that? Just the usual, as usual with PSG, there's a bit of drama, rumors flying around. So I wasn't necessarily surprised to see them try and go in for Zidane, I suppose, if, if we are to take the rumors at face value. Um, that, I think that's also the type of club that, Zidane would want to take over. You know, I don't think he's he's there to take a, on a real uh, a real project in the sense of having to rebuild a club. He, I mean, he did have a lot of work to do the first time around in, in at Real Madrid. To be fair to him, because they were going nowhere under Benitez. But um, 
But you know, he's not he's not going to be here to look after building a youth team and things like that. He's here he's here to win straight away. Um, so you know, was I surprised that they allegedly went for Zidane? No, especially given how big a name he is in France. He's an icon. Um, but it all seemed a little bit fanciful. I think um, the the Marseille links, which interestingly seem people seem more bothered about Zidane going to Marseille despite the, uh, going to PSG despite the fact he's never played for Marseille. Um, whilst Galtier is a born and bred Marseille, played for the club, loves the club, and no one you know no one gave a hoot. But um, but in, in the be, end, that, that's because I'm going to jump in in there. Yeah, that's because <laughs> that's because Zidane, I think. At least in the Marseille, not even in the Marseille subconscious, in in the Marseille reality, put Marseille on the map as far as mm. football goes. When 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 he's get the Ballon d'Or and win the World Cup mm. in '98, I think in Marseille, Zidane allowed Marseille to exist again in French football mm. after all the issues of '93, and it was ah see somebody can be born in Marseille and mm. be the best player in France and the most loved person in. In France, etc. So it's interesting because a lot of people yeah. were like, "Ah, oh, Marseille fans don't actually care," and Zidane doesn't really care about Marseille. Uh, but I think the link between Zidane and Marseille is much stronger than probably mm. any player who's not ever played, but close enough uh, at Marseille because because he represents the the city, mm. uh, whether he wants it or not. Clearly, not by his choice because he didn't play there and he didn't coach there. Um, but like as soon as there was an announcement that it was in Paris, um, stupid people started, you know, putting one star reviews on his on his sports complex down in South of France. Yeah. Uh, and I'm sure his family would hear it a little bit because they're in Marseille as well. So anyway, that was the, that was the parenthesis. But for people who don't know why Marseille fans yeah. would be bothered, um, Zidane, like Marseille has that inferior, inferiority complex in France because mm. they are not the first city because Paris is and they used to be the best in football and then quickly... That, that stopped. Um, so it was their uh, their lifeline to the to France glory was Zidane. So that's why mm. it's so it was so important uh, for them, as you know, for, for our listeners. Yeah, <laughs> but I think in any case, he has a big, maybe not a stronger link, but he has a very very strong link with the France national team. Oh and, yeah, 100%. you know, Lekip had a special interview for his fiftieth birthday, and and you you know reading reading across it, you can tell that. It meant it meant a lot for him to put on the shirt. You know, it still represents something spe- special to him. He clearly wants to take over the role at some point in his life, and um, and so a combination of things meant that he wasn't going to take over at PSG. And I think in the end, you know, I think it, unfortunately to Gatier, that's to his detriment. The fact that he might have looked like second choice, and that you're going from somebody who's won the Champions League multiple times, which is PSG's objective because they don't care about Liga anymore to someone who's never really played in it, um, never really managed in it. Certainly not from a strong standpoint of being a favorite, and um, I think that's cost them a little bit from a from an optics perspective. Does that do, do you call that the right choice for Paris? It's the right choice for Luis Campos. It's the right choice by by the sense of the sporting director should choose or whatever mm. his role is, the, uh, the, con- the sporting counselor should choose um, the coach. But, you know, El Khalifi sure said it's the end of the bling-bling era. Mm. But is that a coach that you want in a team that screams every single year, we're here to win the Champions League 
um, and, and is clearly not the great the greatest at continuity or getting a coach like Galchi who will work mm. not on like a game day but more on like a project. I think it's difficult to say. There, there are various factors, right? The first one is how many coaches are out there available uh, who know how to handle the Champions League winning sides. Well, first of all, there aren't that many Champions League winning sides, and there aren't many coaches who have done it, and they're all they're all not gonna not gonna leave their clubs. I mean, then what are you looking at? Are you looking at bringing Conte? Conte's big weakness is doing sod all in European competition, by the sound of it, but from his record. Um, and are you going to be bringing someone Mourinho, like Mourinho? Why would you? He's done nothing for about eight years, and he now is trying to convince us that a Conference League is a massive <laughs> achievement with Roma when he would have spat all over it when he when he took over the club. And those and those managers are also gonna, um, they, you know, they're gonna slightly destroy your club. They're not here for the long term. Now, that has worked for some clubs. <laughs> You know, um, but I think here they w- they wanted to make too much of a turn from short termism and that disconnect with any sense of it being French or Parisian or being local, and they turned to the manager who's been the best manager in French football for about ten years. So if he's not going to be, if he's not deserving of it, I'm struggling to see who is in French football at the moment. So. It makes it makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's, it, what has reassured me is the fact that Luis Campos is there. They work well together, and he seems to be the decision maker, and and that's a good thing. The thing that didn't reassure me was that it's a two year contract, which you can read in various ways, but it didn't. It it struck me more as this is a transition than um, than something long term. But who knows? It's it's maybe also PSG being rightly cautious and not signing someone to a four or five year contract and then sacking him after 18 months. Yeah, true. It's also very new for Galtier, right? Saint-Etienne, get them from the depth of relegation and bring them to European um, competitions. Lille, depth of relegation all the way to um, being a champion. Nice projects that unfortunately or fortunately uh, ended up early with uh, with some nice nice dirty laundry aired in front of everyone. Yeah. Uh, and now he takes the reign of a club that is expected to win everything, which which he hasn't mm. done before, at least not as a as the main coach. Mm. It's it's a different challenge, but then should he only be given similar challenges throughout his career? He's not Sam Allardyce, right? And even Sam Allardyce was given his chance. So at some point at some point you've got to credit give credit where it's due. And he's overperformed everywhere he's been, um, maybe to the exception of Nice. But I would say, at worst, he's just not exceeded expectations at Nice. He's played up to expectations. So, you know, he's been successful wherever he's been. And I think, to his credit as well, there's always been a sense of uh, calmness around the clubs that he's been at, certainly on the football side, because at Saint-Étienne and Lille, there was always trouble lurking behind the scene. But certainly... In terms of getting the buy-in from his players, players to play his way and trust the system, and players being successful enough that they can move on, um, which isn't necessarily the case for PSG. They don't need that. But that sense of my manager is taking me somewhere better has permeated throughout his side. So these are all very coherent arguments for making that appointment, I think. And that's maybe... um, 
if you combine that with Zidane, it's the lack of fantasy to this appointment, which is to his detriment. It's yeah, actually, he's the he's the best guy available. Um, he just hasn't been given his chance yet, but it doesn't have the same ring to it as Zidane or Ancelotti, even Conte. So, you know, I, I was trying to think, taking a step back, is he really that much different from somebody like Thomas Tuchel when he was appointed at, at PSG or even Unai Emery, right? I mean, sim- Emery had success, obviously, in Europa League, but Tuchel hadn't really achieved anything of great note. His Borussia Dortmund teams were playing really well, but you know what had he achieved that Gatke hasn't achieved at, this, at a similar level. And yet he came in with a burgeoning reputation and is the hot new kid on the block that PSG is going for. In this, and in this case, Gatke doesn't get the same buzz about him. Probably because we know him, right? To hell, yeah. eventually we actually don't know him when he signs for Paris. We just know that everyone says that he's mm. a tactical genius, and, and which you know he, he proved to, to an extent. Um, but but I think where where you know where I agree with you, where Galche is the right choice, is Galche knows Liga, and so you you yeah. get a coach that is not going to be surprised, that is not going to come in telling his team we're going to play this way, and then game two you play against the bus, and you realize that you can't play the way you want to play. Mm. He's already got all those parameters, and he's going to probably actually be the right guy to adapt. To talk about him because he signed a Vitinha to Liga by telling him this is how you're going to play, this is who you're going to face, this is what those players do. Like he's got a knowledge that yeah. no other coach available would have on all the players that Paris is going to face, at least in in the in the in the country in domestic competitions. Uh, and then I think the fact you know we, we are talking about this offline, the fact that he it was um, I guess overlooked or, or rather assumed to be the the second choice and and the the plan B um, will play will play in his favor. You know, if if anything, somebody who is born and bred in Marseille has a bit of pride. Uh, mm. And and if you tell him that he's going to fail, he's probably going to um, succeed better than than anybody else because he needs to prove himself. He needs to prove himself as far as what people think of him when he just joins Paris Saint Germain, but also as far as his own career, as you mentioned. You know, not a lot of coaches has, has won the Champions League. You said it, and most likely most of them. Before they won the first Champions League, they had never won the Champions League. So it just has to start somewhere, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, and Galtier is probably, I don't know if he's the guy you can bring him to the Champions League, but he's probably the guy who's going to be the most pragmatic of most coaches mm. that we know of at that level when it comes to winning. Winning is winning. And we've seen it when he did it in Lille and we see it at Nice, maybe a little bit too much this time. Uh, but he's not going to go for a, you know, Guardiola type, uh, invention in the semi-final to try and see if he can create a new version of a player. He's just going to try and stick to what um, he, he knows. And, and we keep saying that we we kept saying sorry that Galchi's, um you know biggest strength is he's a man manager, he's a player manager. You, you said it, he buys in, he gets the player to buy in on his uh, on what he wants to do. And I think he's going to bring that in in Paris. And he's he's smart. He knows that for some of these players, the first three months are going to be either all in or rest, depending if they have um, the, the World Cup call um, guaranteed or not. Uh, but then after that, there's rest, and then there's the six months that kind of matter for Paris Saint-Germain. So I think, uh, and and I don't think that you're going to disagree on that, I think that we are going to hear a lot of quick conclusions about what Galtier brings in Paris Saint-Germain 
in these first three months, but the fact that there's a World Cup in November, mm. um, I think will make any definite, definite analysis very complicated. It's a tough environment to take over that club, let's be honest. Um, they're feeling a bit deflated anyway. The club is having... The club's relationship with its fans isn't great. I mean, they somehow managed to look down upon a, t- a league title. I don't know how certain fans are able to do that. Um, and and you've got the World Cup break in between and outsized expectations anyways. And, and like we said, I mean, I'm stating the beating obvious, but only one team can win the Champions League. That doesn't mean it makes all the managers of all the other sides terrible managers, right? And it's the same with Pochettino, just because he hasn't managed here particularly well doesn't mean he's he's a terrible manager like uh, we he's got enough of a track record so he's got you know he's got the usual difficult environment of managing a big club full of players with big egos and a bloated squad that includes a lot of people who shouldn't be at that club anymore but again the reassuring thing is that he has Luis Campos and I think Luis Campos has been designated by Al Khalifi as you're the guy who takes on the football related calls now and if players want to moan they will they will call you and and they've got that partnership before. So I'm hoping that that's what will make it work. I'm hoping as well that they'll maybe see the season as a bit of a transition season, as a season that if things don't go their way, it's explainable for all the reasons we've set out and that they just need to you know, recycle a little bit and get ready for the following seasons because, you know, Neymar's done, Messi's done, you know, by the, by the end of the, this, come, by the end of 22, the 22, 23 season, those guys are gone. So they're not the future. They're, if they can win with them, they will, but they're not the future and that's what they should look forward to. Yeah, I think uh, I think the, the World Cup in the middle and Messi, Neymar being at the end of their PSG career or, or career period um, yeah. is, is going to be all all the the narratives that are going to make um, this season's analysis quite uh, yeah quite interesting I think and quite maybe complicated for uh, for Galtier to, to deal with but that's when we'll see how how great of a of a manager he is right all the all the circumstances are there or not mm-hmm. to, uh, to 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 achieve success. Galtier signing at Paris Saint-Germain met, uh, meant the bench was left empty on the on the French Riviera at the Alliance Riviera, uh, and it's uh, a, a little I guess a, a fan a fan favorite Lucien Favre supposedly the last good coach that Nice has had. If you listen to the Nice fans who uh, who is mm. coming back and who's signing for Nice, he is a Swiss coach. If you don't know him, uh, and he was coaching Nice uh, for a couple of years five years ago now. Uh, and and after that, a bit of Dortmund. But just when you first hear that he comes, it, I think he's announced in before Gatche is yeah. announced out. Um, what, what did you think about this appointment? Unimaginative is the way I would describe it. Uh, and that's not uh, throwing shade at Fav. Uh, I understand the reasons why why people have gone for him. And I don't necessarily think it's a bad appointment. I just think I would like people to be a bit more creative. When, when they bring play, uh, managers in and players in. And in this case, it's let's go back to the coach that predates the Ratcliffe era. And then he did very well one season, less so the following season. Um, so it's, you know, his successes date back 
already. And I'm always a little bit wary of people coming back to the places where they've been successful. But I think it, for me, it, you know, it's a good appointment in the sense that he's an experienced manager. He knows the he he knows the club, although it's changed slightly. Um, the big question for me is, what are the expectations? So, if the expectation is qualify for the Champions League, I ideally directly. I think that's slightly outsized. I haven't seen them do a great transfer window since Ratcliffe at the club, and I'm not sure he's actually investing as much as he said he would. So that would be that would be my big worry for for Favre. If the target is top six, then yeah, he's a good he's a good appointment. But I think he anything beyond that might be a step too far, understandably. So I'm more worried for him than for the club, really. Um, that's that's the way I would see it at the moment. Interesting because he he was appointed then by uh, River, who was the coach, the uh, the president then, and then Radcliffe comes in, tries to make all those changes, and then Julien Fournier, uh, is Julien Fournier? Yeah, Fournier, he's the yeah. uh, sporting director, then Fournier is ousted, and then you give the keys back to River, and River brings back the coach that he's comfortable mm. with. So I agree with you, uh, a, a bit in an imaginative, and, and also, um, yeah, just, just risky, because like we said, you know, Nice love, Nice fans love Lucien Favre because the football played under the the Swiss coach was was good football, um, but interestingly enough, at Nice it's probably one of his worst um, tenure. If you look at the the amount of points uh, per game that he get in every club, he only did worse than um, than Nice once, and he did better than what he was at Nice when he was in Dortmund or when he was um, who was it for Nice? When he was Hoffenheim. Mönchengladbach. Mönchengladbach. Excuse me. Yes. Um, so he did better before and after Nice. After Nice, he goes to Borussia Dortmund, uh, of course, because of how well he did with this. Uh, and he spends a year and a half there, but despite getting um, two points per, point per match, uh, he's not kept uh, because he fell short of expectations, those expectations that you are mentioning. Mm. But he came to Dortmund being told that basically now they spend the money and they have the team to win the league over Bayern, and he failed to do so, and that's why he wasn't kept. Mm. Can we expect something of the same in, in Nice? Do you think if the expectations are... Like I guess the wrong one being said. Do you think he can crumble? Is a strong word because he still got two points per game. But do you think he can fail? Well, yeah. I mean, any anyone can fail. I mean, for all we know, he'll have a terrible start to his regime anyway. I don't wish that on him, obviously. But um, we we never know how it's going to go. He still has a whole transfer window to get through, and it'll be interesting to see what type of players Nice will bring in because they've tended to bring bring in young young, hungry players, but uh, when I look across the squad, there's a little lack of experience and there's a lack of uh, leadership, I think, uh, especially if Dante's injured, but Dante's injured because he's getting old and his time on the pitch is, is lessened, understandably, and then who are who are your leaders? Andy Delors, not necessarily known as, as one, um, so it's, he, he has the track record of doing well with young players, I think that's, that's fair to say, Um but but at the moment, I'm not getting a real sense of enthusiasm coming out of, of Nice. It just feels like, it doesn't even feel chaotic. It just sort of feels like it's year three of the project and we don't really know what we're aiming for. And, and we don't even really know if our owner really knows what he's going for. And, and there's a little bit of indecision 
at the club, which I think is costing it at, at the moment. So, so for Favre, I'm just hoping he's gone in. <clears throat> he's gone in, being very clear on what the objectives are and being very clear on what means are going to be at his disposal. That tends to be the million dollar question for any manager that comes in. And um, but if he's got a if he's got a good relationship with River and River has got the full powers and has been legitimized even more through getting rid of Fournier, then maybe that's a good ticket. Hopefully for, for Nice. Uh, you mentioned the lack of leadership. They, of course, lost uh, Walter Benitez, arguably um, mm. one of the best keepers in Liga, who, who signed for Eindhoven, which leaves them with basically uh, Martin Bulka, the, the keeper that was on loan from Paris Saint-Germain. And that did a couple of good things in uh, in the French Cup. But, but that's it. Um, yeah. There was link that they wanted to get Mandanda, and then Mandala goes to Rennes. I was linked with um, Jan Sommer, the, the keeper from um, Wolfsburg. Mm. Oh, I keep getting them wrong. Wolfsburg yeah. Commission Club. Huh? Anyway, a German, the Swiss international that were, <laughs> used to play in a, in a German uh, team in the Bundesliga. Uh, do you think it's an area that they definitely need to recruit? Yeah, I think, uh, I think so. Um, they need to recruit there, and I think they need to figure out how they want to play. That was the big criticism of, of Galtier. Is, and one player in particular uh, was frustrated, which, who's Amin Guiri, right? Who, I, you know, I'm a huge fan of his, and I think he's he would play very well as a second striker. And he was some or a left winger in a 4-3-3, and he was too often put there as a winger in a 4-4-2, where you have different responsibilities, much more difficult responsibilities, I think. So, you know, he had, he has players there um, to to build upon the likes of Todibo, Kefren Turam, you know, uh, Guiri, Brahimi, uh, Atal. You know, those are decent. You know, Melvin Barr, decent decent players, but they they need to bulk it up a little bit if they really want to challenge for 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 big targets. And at the moment, it's lacking a bit of depth and a bit of experience. The way. I would look at it. That doesn't actually mean it can't happen. And Favre is a good manager. Um, it's just that it's um, it needs a bit of a refresh. A lot of those players have actually been there a couple of years now, and you're not so, some like Atal, for example. I don't think have necessarily progressed over the last few years. So he needs to regenerate the side internally, even without signings, to to get that dynamism back into the into the club. And that's that's not an easy. You think to do, but then he's got all summer to do it, maybe. So, so that's hopefully all summer and maybe Jan Sommer as well. Who used to be the goalkeeper at Mönchengladbach, where um, oh. Favre was. So Favre was his uh, his coach, which makes the links uh, even stronger, I guess. Uh, there are rumors as well right now that Kirsten Turam um, mm. might go, I don't know if he will go to Paris, but at least that Paris is interested, as are, I'm sure, um, a ton of other clubs because of, because of the talent. Uh, I don't know if you've seen it, but the goal he scored in that preseason game a couple mm-hmm. of days ago. Uh, you know, preseasons mean nothing, but if you wanted to mean something, um, yeah. the football played in that one, two, three between Turam, Guiri, and um, the law was pretty spectacular. So if mm-hmm. they can play that way uh, this season, then then it would be pretty pretty special. But yeah, again, it's going to be the the hard task uh, on the on the Swiss coach, and I think. I think the expectations from Ineos probably are now we spent all that money the, the past few years, um, kind of like make it work 
um, mm. most likely without us having to uh, to spend too much money because because they want to buy Chelsea or, or mm. any other club that they think is more important than this. Um, okay. and you know, they they finish behind Rennes for a reason. For sure. I mean, Rennes in, Rennes invests more. You know, Pino invests. He's getting a sense that his team is going somewhere, and sometimes he opens up the checkbook to do that. Uh, Radcliffe has a similar means, and you don't get the sense from what I'm reading, etc., that he's fully invested in Nice. So, you know, he tried to bid for Chelsea. I don't know what that says. I don't know if it says anything when you have such ridiculous amount of wealth available to you, but that there are concerns that it's he's gotten a bit not tired, but disinterested Nice. It says at least that he doesn't know how to read the room, right? Because how does a Nice fan feels when your owner is trying to buy Chelsea and make yeah. them basically a, a, a feeder club for uh, for Chelsea FC. It's not a, it's not knowing the Nice fans well to, yeah. to put that on them. Mm. Um, you you talked about Rennes and that is a great segue to our next coach, um, Régine Lebris, Régis Lebris, excuse me, who is uh, the new coach at Lorient. Uh, so Régis Lebris is, uh, is, I guess, a famous uh, unknown coach. Uh, 46 years old. It's his first experience um, as the main coach on a professional bench. Um, and Rennes, where the link is, is Julien Stéphane, Franck Hez, and Régis Lebris, all were coaches in the youth rank in Rennes uh, for 8 to 10 years, I think, if I'm not mistaken, up until, um, up until um, 10 years ago almost. Um, and so Julien Stéphane and Franck Hez, we know now, how well they've done. Stéphane, of course, with Rennes and now Strasbourg and as with, with Lens. Uh, well, you know, Regis Lebré, when they were working the three together um, at Stade um, he was supposedly the, the thinking head of the three. Uh, and it said that the three always had the ambition of uh, changing football is probably uh, a bit too ambitious, but at least bringing, um, you know, a bit of a wave of youth in the way the football was played uh, in France. We've seen the success, of course, in the academy at Rennes, because Rennes is now the, the second best academy in Europe uh, for the past two, three years. Uh, and then um, after that, he moved on to, to Lorient, where he became first the head of the academy and the under-17 oh. coach. And then since 2015, the head of the academy and also the coach of the reserves at Lorient, where, again, um, a few strong young players uh, have emerged recently. Enzo Lefe, everyone knows about because mm. of his links as well recently. And and how well he's doing with France under 21 and under 20 under 19 before. Uh, Sumano has come this season. A few young players are coming up the ranks of, of Lorient. He's not, um, you know, he's not stranger to that. And now he is the new coach uh, at Lorient, replacing Christophe Pellissier, who did well in Ligue 2, maybe a little bit less so in, in Ligue 1, but also probably due to the, the team that he had under him, right? Mm. They bring Regis Levry to, to head their first team. After he was the head of the academy, I think another team in Brittany did that a couple of years ago, uh, Rennes, and it worked well for them. Can we expect somehow the same um, fate? Obviously, totally different budget. Yeah, I mean, it's a difficult ask as your first job to come in, rely on youth in Ligue 1 for a club that's a yo-yo club. I think we we need maybe to appreciate that. But, but I like... You know, I like the way Lorient are thinking, and they've always been quite a forward-looking club. Um, they they have a, certainly for the last you know twenty years or so. They have a they've always tended to like 
managers who like their teams to play well and they've given their chances to young managers. Um, so so I, I, I like that way of thinking and, and he's he's got a strong pedigree, so why, you know, why not? Otherwise, what are you going to do? Go for a, who else is on the market that really makes me enthusiastic in France? Um, who might have ideas and who might relate to those players? Um, and who his his pedigree as a ma- as a manager who improves his players um, is also something that's going to be attractive to young players trying to make a breakthrough. So uh, I can see a lot of sense in that. And they've got they've got nothing to lose. <laughs> Excuse me, they've got nothing to lose, and they've also got nothing to invest. So it's it's an organic choice that makes a lot of sense. And Felicia was coming to the end of his cycle, I think. Um, he did a great job in his first few seasons. I think last year was just tiredness started to creep in a little bit. And um, and that explains that they had a difficult season. Although two, two successive um, seasons in Liga is nothing to sneer at from, from Lorient's perspective. So a lot of unknowns with Le Brise, But if he has the same ideas as as his two mates uh, who work very closely with him, then there's something very promising there. Exactly. And, and he said during the, the pre-season interview, uh, you know, maybe what any coach would say, but it's still positive to say it, that he wants position football, that he wants mm. um, a team that is not passive, but that is, uh, you know, proactive in making sure that um, the game can be won and not just just not not losing the game is the is the objective. Lorient, you know, has a bit of history of that. Uh, again, something mm. that we, we discussed a bit offline. Uh, uh, Baptiste Christian Gourcuff, of course, is the is the mon- most known coach uh, at Lorient, which uh, which allows me to uh, to uh, uh, unashamedly plug in that interview that I did with a, a former Russian international, Ross Aloisi, who used to play in Lorient under um, Christian Gourcuff. You mm. can find that on, on my Twitter if you want to look at it. It's very interesting. The new uh, assistant coach at uh, Yokohama Marinos in Japan. Um, but yeah, Christian Gourcuff at Lorient, Landro went there, Felicier was, of course, uh, playing football as well. They like to play football in general mm. anyway uh, in that club. Yeah, the, and Gourcuff initiated that. He had his 4-4-2, wanted to play play it the right way um, and, and get them on the front foot and it worked for, for a very long time. I think now they're just finding themselves in the position they will always find themselves in, which is the lack of lack of means um, instantly uh, means means that they will struggle, and that. So why not look at a, like I said, an organic way of looking at your club and keep on developing your youth team and ensuring that there's a pathway to the first team and and blooding those young players to work hard for the club to give give their all and and to grow. I think that's I I think as a fan I'd be much more enthusiastic about that than. You know, staying up, what inevitably a team like Saint Etienne, if they set up, would have done, which is make terrible signings, you know, take on more wages and and give a chance to a manager that doesn't really deserve it. At least here, somebody who's worked who worked very hard to get there, similar to you know, as Stefan and Galtier, who's a shining example of that. Somebody who's worked very hard to get there is actually being given his chance, maybe. The opportunity, opportune time for himself and for his club. So, all the stars seem to have aligned that there's a there's an understanding behind between the club and the manager, which is great. I think that's 
that's what we want to see. We'll see how the first few months go, and it's a difficult, difficult task ahead. Exactly. The youth is uh, is shining in in Lorient, of course. Everybody mm. knows Enzo Lefe, who may or may not start the season in the orange shirt. There's also Armand Loriente, Ibrahim Akone, Terem Mofi, Leo Petro coming down. And there's a, uh, a young striker who we probably will see a little bit of. His, his name is known, um, Pablo Fagis, who, uh, the, the son of the of the famous, uh, hopefully, we wish him a career as, a, as mm. I don't know if it's a good career, but at least it was a, a pretty and elegant career um, as, uh, as his father. His father was a, mm. one of the best uh, strikers, one of the prettiest, again, strikers yeah. that I've seen. Uh, playing very, very silky touch on the on the ball, probably the epitome of of silky touch. Yeah. Anyway, Lille now is the next coach who's changed coach. The next team who's changed coach. We're gonna get there. Um, Paulo Fonseca, the Portuguese coach, has been announced in Lille. Before we talk about Fonseca, uh, but he's surprised by the fact that Lille part ways with Govenek. No, not really. <laughs> uh, I, I, to be fair to him, I think the expect again. It's a question of expectations. The expectations coming out of Lille after their season last year were outsized. I mean, they they won a title. It's unbelievable, um, a, an incredible achievement. They then didn't really invest anything in their sides. Um, Gourvenec in the first place wasn't the choice I would have gone for, but he could have bounced back. He had a good start to his coaching career, had a middling uh, following, but you never know if the fit is right, but then the fit never seemed right, and that's 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 a shame for him. That's a shame for the club. I think he didn't get on well with the fans either, so it's, he's also an easy scapegoat for for the owners. They'll always be looking for that, but they should have done better than they did did in the league last season. Their side was still good enough to challenge for the top six, I think. And you combine poor results with a distant relationship with fans and a football that wasn't always fantastic um those are all good reasons for for wanting a change of change of voice and change of attitude uh within the club so i wasn't surprised i mean it's always a shame to see a manager lose his job after a year when he sure he hasn't set the world alight but he it's not like he dragged them into a regular relegation dogfight either i think they were just below if there had been reasonable expectations he failed to deliver on those I think is, is fair but you know but uh, so, but still not a surprise I think it was just what didn't feel like the right fit yeah I think it was uh, it was probably in the deep end a little bit as well in a club that as we know is crawling under under depth and change ownership halfway through that last season even if they win the even if they won the, the league uh, but yeah I think like you said though eventually the, the team was there and the players mm. were good and you have players like Jonathan David um, like maybe even Renato Sanchez, who didn't necessarily improve or um, or increase their worth under Gourvenec. And at, I think at the end of the day, that's probably what he can get, mm. can you know, be kept accountable for. Although, you know, um, getting out of the uh, Champions League group is probably the one expectation that wasn't on him. Uh, and, and yet he did it, and, and he did it brilliantly. That, that game in Seville was, was, was actually a very good game. Maybe they're only very good game of the of the season, unfortunately for for Lille. Yeah. Anyway, he's out, and Paulo Fonseca is in. Paulo Fonseca, Portuguese coach, mm. uh, famously coach of Roma between uh, 2019 and 2021. Um, before that, it was Shakhtar Donetsk, where it was 
very successful, but of course people will say that in Ukraine it doesn't mean much. Um, and then before that, he was his own country, Porto, Pacos de Ferreira, and Sporting Braga. He's now in Lille, um, you know, Port- Portugal and France, there's, there are strong ties, so there's no issue as far as him understanding the, the way the game is played. But again, he's coming into a side that, you know, supposedly is deflated, is not mm. motivated, is not necessarily um, selling a lot of players, although there, w- there was a few departures. Um, tough job, right? <laughs> yes, very tough. I think um, it's, it's going to be a slightly tumultuous off-season as well. I think things are going to dra- drag drag on. So we're already seeing this. There are a few players who want to leave and a few players who feel like they should leave now. So Renato Sanchez is one of them. There's no it's no secret that Jonathan David wants to leave, I think, despite having a terrible second half of the season, not season. Um, Zeki Selic, I think, has just left. He's gone, um, yeah. So, sorry, to, 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 put the, to, to look at the transfer so far, uh, Botman has signed with Newcastle, Selic has signed with Roma, uh, Yilmaz has signed with Fortuna Sittard, Cheka has been left free, Ben Arfa free, Pierre free, um, Carnesis, the, the third keeper, uh, is out. Pjerovic wasn't kept, and so he's back with Atletico Madrid. And then they um, they got Jonas Martin from Rennes, which I think is pretty good. Um, Akim Zlatka from Clermont, Clermont who's losing all their players left, right, and center. Mm-hmm. Uh, Remy Cabela, who signed for, from Montpellier after he was left free by, uh, by Krasnodar. Uh, Luca Chevalier, who we might actually mm-hmm. hear of, uh, the young goalkeeper who was on loan in Valenciennes, and uh, Alexandro, which is a uh, young centre-back from um, second division in, in uh, Portugal, who brought his team to the first division mm-hmm. last year. So uh, a, few, a few transfers, but as you said, um, like for example, Jonathan David, um, he probably thought that he was going to be gone uh, by now, but I think Lille spent what, over 20 million on him, and they won't him cheaper, right? So he needs to perform better. Yeah, and I think you know he's lost a lot of influence in that dressing room. Even like, well, you know, Botman, Selic, you've lost half of your back four. That's not a great start. And players who, you know, certainly Selic has been a good servant for a number of years now. Um, and I think, like I said, Sanchez and and David are either going to leave or they'll stay, but they'll drag their feet because they feel like they should have left. So it's not looking like a quiet, tranquil summer. For Fonseca, which is, which is not an easy place to step in, um, and behind the scenes, the club is still a bit of a mess. Even though obviously the new owners are doing better than Gerard Lopez, but that's not very difficult. So I think I, I, I feel like I'm a broken record saying this, but again, it depends on what what the expectations are. I think if you look at Fonseca and you say transition season, and it should be top eight, challenge for the top six, trying to get a European spot. I think they were within their rights to believe that. I think the likes of Zegrova showed showed some good promise. I think there are some players who are solid Liga players who, in my mind, should do better. But the likes of Jonathan Bamba and, and Timothy Ware might be, you know, how much you release from their shackles from having, bet, you know, bigger players around them, and um, and you still have the likes of Jose Fonte who provide, you know, great experience. And like you said, Jonas Martin is a good signing. So there's still the shape of a good side there. Um, the signings you've mentioned make sense as well. I mean, I query about Remy Cabela, but um, you know, Zedatka is is isn't 
is a smart signing, I think. Um, so, you know, we'll see. I'm not quite sure what to expect from Fonseca. He seemed to like a 4-2-3-1 at Roma. Uh, he mm-hmm. seemed to play quite good football. Uh, it's it's a, it's a tough club to step into, and uh, and and there was a real disconnect at the end of the of the last season. So, I, I'm hoping that he's going to get a bit of tranquility soon and a bit of clarity for his squad uh, as soon as possible to to get started because it's I think the first game is what fifth of August, so he's got less than a month to go. Coming soon, and lucky for him, he's keeping Jose Font. But yeah, it's not going to be a, an easy one. He finished fifth in his first season with Roma, and in the second season, he finished um, seventh, qualifying them for the Conference League that eventually they won under uh, Mourinho. Um, so, so maybe he's got a, a bit of a piece in that, positive or negative. I don't know. But, but, uh, but sorry, but even that isn't particularly impressive. I'm sorry, yeah. but fifth and seventh in Serie A with a club like Roma, who. I know they've invested a lot under Mourinho, but I think they invest a decent amount of money under Fonseca. Isn't you know, isn't so rosy. Let's be honest. Behind Atalanta, behind Sassuolo, the second year as well. Um, yeah, definitely not not the yeah not 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 shiny. But again, it's Lille, and, and they probably picked the best they could pick. You mm. said that for Lorient, and I agree. You wish French club were looking a little bit more into the new wave Absolutely. of. Of French coaches because there is talent there, but I guess well, it's a, it's already a multi-cultural um, um, local room at Lille, so maybe they 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 felt it was the the best fit. Mm. The last coach of the of the podcast, uh, Igor Tudor, the new Marseille coach, after the shock announcement of Jorge Sampaoli leaving Marseille. Um, supposedly because the um, owner and the president were not going to allow him to recruit the player that he uh, wanted to recruit or to, to to buy, I guess, those players. And Griezmann was, was named and somebody else. Um, Baptiste, we, we did discuss that. But uh, surprised and, and disappointed a little bit by uh, Sampaoli just, uh, I guess, abandoning the ship, even though he's doing it supposedly the right way. Yeah, I... I... I, w- I was certainly surprised when when I saw the announcement. I generally didn't see that coming. I mean, I wasn't necessarily following Loem's Le- interseason so closely as that. And I knew there were frustrations around how many players they might be able to bring in, who they might bring to replace uh, Saliba and the likes of those players. But that, that did take me by surprise. I, I suppose where I'm, where I'm disappointed is that San Paoli was really, really backed last season, both in the summer transfer window and throughout the season by Longoria, who brought him the players he wanted, despite limited means. And again, Matt Court put a lot of money in the club again. Mm-hmm. And Longoria backed him throughout the season, even when there were a few moments of, uh, you know, performances weren't so great. You know, what is like, you know that better than I do, what it's like at Marseille, you have two draws and it's the end. It's the end of the season. I think throughout Longoria just said that he's the man for the job. Just learn to appreciate his style. He has his style. He has his vision. We're following him. I'm here to support him. And I think he did that. The fact the fact he's now resigned in a proper way by by um, doing that relatively early, I think you can appreciate that. I think that that's good. I, you know, I do appreciate that. But when you consider that backing and the, and the players he brought and some of the decisions he made, and I think by that comment 
the comment I'm going to make applies to all managers wherever they are for me is at some point you need to do the best with what you've got and and you need to coach those players and it it, it feels like an easy cop out a little way in a little way to to just say I haven't had the I was looking for six players I haven't had one by the 1st of July therefore I can't work in the, under those conditions well sorry that just doesn't work that way and what does that say to your players as well so um in that sense i always thought that bielsa comparisons were very lazy but in that sense he's quite similar to bielsa which is it's my way or the highway and you can and you can uh you can appreciate that and you can respect that i respect it i that still leaves me feeling a bit disappointed because i like the way they played and I think they just needed a few additions to their to their side because Champions League was never going to be a real target. So they would have just needed a few uh, more players, better better players who were a better fit in certain key positions for this season to do well in Liga and Europa League uh, eventually. And and I'm disappointed that he didn't do that. Yeah, I, I agree with the Copa comment because I think he he knew that. Yeah, in Marseille, if you don't get good results, he's, he's seen it this year. Uh, quickly, mm. you're going to have the, the fan unhappy, and he probably knows that in Champions League, it's not going to be easy. Um, I think he knew that all along, and, and probably he probably thought, you know, I, I, lost, uh, I lost 45 kilos walking uh, back and forth on my, on my sideline this season. I don't want to do it again, and I don't want to have to, uh, to face the burden and the, and the psychological pressure. And, and I'm, I think it's pretty... Yeah, it's pretty terrible for the players. At least in a bit of a bit of a sense of loyalty gone there. Because when we see, uh, you know, Gwendozi straight away ran to him when when they celebrated the second uh, spot, and and Payet, of course, um, got along with him pretty well as well. Uh, anyway, he's out, yeah. and and um, you know, what do you say? Out, out with the ball, in with uh, the, the younger ball. Uh, Igor yeah. Igor Tudor is now the the new coach. Igor Tudor, uh, I guess. Famously, uh, a great defender at Juventus, at least the third or the fourth defender in uh, in what was the best uh, Juventus team in the early 2000s. Mm. And since um, become a manager, a manager with a, uh, how are we going to qualify that? Uh, I guess a, a an interesting career. Um, mm. Youth at Hajus Flick, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it all because it's, it's, it's almost funny. Um, then he took the, the head of Ajut Split in Ajut Split. I'm going to do it uh, in 2013 for a year and a half. Then goes to Park Salonik for less than a year. Then goes to Karabük uh, Spor in um, Turkey less than a year. Galatasaray less than a year. And then Udinese twice, where he joins at the very end of the season to try and save them uh, to avoid them going um, down. And he um, managed, I think, one out of two to, to save them. Uh, and then goes back to Arjus Flick for six months. Then he is the assistant coach under Pirlo. And by all accounts, that didn't go well um, because, A, he wasn't very happy to be considered number three under Pirlo when he had more um, diploma. Uh, and B, eventually, mm. apparently, he was taking the, the training himself. All that to finally get a, a full season again at Elas Verona this season where, uh, out of 36 games, he wins 14th. Uh, draws 11, loses 11, um, I guess goes higher than expectations for mm. Elas Verona. They probably thought they were going to fight for relegation. He ends up uh, mid-table. But then he quits um, because of, um, I guess, disagreement with uh, with the owners. And there he is now. 
à Marseille. So, Longoria clearly did this job, Pablo Longoria, and that's what all the Marseille fans are saying to reassure themselves, uh, because he probably knew that Sampoli was quitting mm. a week before uh, Sampoli said it. And then over the weekend, uh, a couple of rumors flew, and Tudor was signed three days after uh, Sampoli left. So Tudor was here at the very beginning of the preseason. Uh, but a, su- a surprising appointment, mm. unknown. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't really know what to expect. I mean, he's got obviously a great career as a player, an interesting career as a manager and coach, and he's still maybe in the infancy of his managerial career. And he needs this, this spot. You know, he he needs to be given that chance. I I don't know. I'm asking. I've said people need to be creative. That well, that's one way to be creative. Um, and you you could you could see why his. Um, personality and background might make him a good fit for Marseille. Um, if you you know if you've coached Hadrick Split, I think you you know that there's a certain fervor there. Uh, so he won't necessarily be surprised by the Marseille fans, but he's certainly a manager I didn't think was on anyone's radar, if I'm honest, in particular. So to see him named very quickly was a surprise. Now, like you said, Longoria is doing his job. You need. You need to manage to be named quickly and to be given as much time as possible for preseason, and he's done that. But I, but I don't know, but I don't know what to expect. And when you compare to what happened when San Paoli joined, which was very much, he's our manager who has a vision, and my job, Pablo Longoria, is to give him all the tools to make that work. And he, and San Paoli has all the powers effectively and i'm just you know i'm i'm just a conduit by which he's going to make it work uh that's a very different proposition to what you're hearing coming out of mm-hmm. out of marseille now which is yeah we got Tudo, and now it's my job to we'll, we'll see what we can find as some as players but you don't i didn't really get a sense from Tudo either from what i've read that he necessarily knows what he wants and i don't know how much he studied the team it's still early days but it's a, it's it's a slightly puzzling one. I've got to say, um, I'm trying trying to be open minded, but I'm having to be open minded because <laughs> he's got such little pedigree. So all you can say is, well, let's hope it works out for for Marseille, and um, and it might be another masterstroke by by Longoria. Who knows? You might have heard my lovely Chihuahua behind me, who was getting angry at probably hearing my voice behind the door. Um, I think I, I agree with you. I could say uh, you got to trust Longoria, unfortunately, because Marseille have put so much trust on him. I, and at least there's a few boxes that are ticked. The main one will be somebody who's known to have a temperament and somebody who, who has coached in environments that were difficult. Um, you know, with Elas Veron, which is the, probably the biggest club of all that list mm. uh, where he coached, um, you know, no due respect to, uh, to split. Uh, but yeah, with Elas Veron, he, he exceeded expectations. This mm. is maybe where Marseille is in, in Champions League, in a position where they're the underdogs and where they need to exceed expectations to, to do anything really out of those, out of those groups because they're going to be in the, in the third hat. Uh, but yeah, in Ligue 1, that's going to be a, yeah, a, a bit, a bit mm. different. Um, they've recruited Samuel Gigo, who was already organized um, I think in, back in January. So I think it was also a St. Pauli choice, um, who, who's coming uh, at centre-back. They've recruited um, Isaac Touré, a very young centre-back, 19 mm. years old, who was in, uh, in Le Havre in Ligue 2, who played only half a season in Le Havre, but he's also um, the captain of the under-20 um, of the French national team. 
they get uh, of course Genduzi on a, on a complete transfer and Paolo Lopez and Senji Zunder, all those all those players that played here last season. They did lose um, Nemanja Radonic, which I'm sure no one is really too sad about, <laughs> but also Steve Mandanda, Boubacar Kamara, uh, William Saliba. I think that's that's a bit more um, damageable for for Marseille because it's half of their um, colon vertebral, half of their skeleton who's gone. Uh, the the mm. better of the two keepers, um, the the centre back that did so well, and the and the centre mid, Paulo Lopez, starter forever. Is that something that reassures, reassures you when you've seen what he did in Marseille last year? Not really. When mm-hmm. um, he's, he started, well, I remember we were having this debate when he was kind of riding a hot streak, let's put it that way, at the start of the season. And he was playing a particular role and he was doing it very well, which was, you know, sweeper keeper in, in a team that dominates possession. I think as we saw the season go, he his goalkeeping performances came under the spotlight and he wasn't great. And to be honest, the fact that Mandanda came back into the side towards the end of our season, knowing what we know now, which was they were probably going to let him go. He's 36. He's not as great as he once was. That None of that was a good sign, really. And so I think that is a potential weak spot. We don't know. Maybe his second season will be better. But but it's just in, for me, it's just interesting in, in general that Marseille over the last 15 years, they've always gone for managers that are established, whether it's just in France or, or even abroad. You know, they've gone for, for names that represent something. And here, Tudor is a name in the sense that he will speak to a lot of football fans, rightly so, because of his very good career. But this one really feels like a gamble. And you've got to be pretty strong to step into that club and and then take it over really um, yeah and 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 the and the weaknesses to his sides are whether under San Paoli or not so let me rephrase that if he's going to play the same way as San Paoli the weaknesses are still there and I, I'm struggling to see how they're going to get rid of those um, weaknesses due to the limited funds if he's going to play in a very different way which is entitled to do. I feel that some players are not going to reach the highest potential they can. So the likes of Genduzi, I don't know if he he reached another level last year, but he did so playing in a particular system that played to his strength. Even for the likes of Gerson, I wonder what that's going to look like if you ask him to play a more traditional role. Um, Payet is getting old. Yeah, you know, there's a lot. There are a lot of unknowns, I think, at the moment, and and maybe they all write it together, and they uh, they all work very well, and and who knows, maybe the dressing room will be behind them, and certainly the signings that Longoria seem to make, I I will see them as they make a lot of sense, but he needs to, I I just don't know why he's what the way he wants to play and whether those players at the moment actually fit. So I'm hoping they've done their due diligence on both sides, whether it's on Tudor's side or on Longoria's side. He comes with uh, with Mauro Camoranesi on the bench, another uh, another Juventus legend who's who's following him, uh, another uh, I guess uh, hot headed or temperamental mm-hmm. uh, player, which which in a way is good for the the team that's in place to see a player with such pedigrees. But we've all seen um, great players not doing so great when they sit on the bench, uh, by all accounts. And and I guess I um, I speak under. Um, 
under control of my mate at the uh, Anglo Italo pod. Um, he's he's a coach that likes the aggressiveness, likes the the you know just winning every duel and and maybe not so much on the possession football side, but definitely on the the counter pressing side, the the get pressing. Um, so dear to uh, to Thomas Tuchel, where he will always try to have his team um, recovering as early as possible, and we've seen that quite a bit with Elas Deron. But mm. like you said, um, you know, does it work with the team that you have? Sure, Gendouzi might love that. Um, Gerson has shown us that he's a hard worker. Payet maybe a little bit less. Milik maybe a little bit less as well. Mm. Um, so so it'd be interesting. They are linked right now with um, Jonathan Klaus, which of course would be a, a great steal. Uh, and and a few other names because as as every summer Marseille is uh, is linked with probably about 150 names, um, so that they can go to another club afterwards. Uh, but but it is I think going to be a uh, very interesting and it, it kind of feels like that Sampaoli for all all that we knew as far as his instability, it kind of felt like Longoria Sampaoli was a bit of stability of Marseille, mm. uh, and that just completely. Um, exploded a, a week and a half ago, so it'll be, yeah, it'll be interesting to see uh, what what happened there. Galtier is most likely the coach out of the five that we've mentioned who finishes top. Behind him, where where do you where do you rank them? Who who's the the second best rank and third and fourth and fifth on the spot? Is what I do. Hmm, that's a tricky one. I think I might. I think Favre is probably is probably a good one. I mean, I probably rank them in terms of certainty at the moment, right? So and comfort. I mean, it's an easy way out, but I would say Galtier, Favre, um, probably. <laughs> it's a struggle for the third one. But I'd actually, I'd maybe be put Lebris third, and then it's between Fonseca and, and Tudor. I, I I think be because of. Lille and Marseille are not stable clubs right now, and that's difficult. At least Le Brisa, Lorient, he's got a, a clear brief, and he's been and everybody's aligned there, and everybody's working in the same direction. So that gives me a a bit of comfort for him. Um, so I probably rank them rank them in that order with maybe maybe Tudor fifth. I just, it's just that sounds harsh. It's just because I know so little of him, and so little is known of him, and. And the Juve school hasn't worked because Perlo is not in the job, and Fabrizio Ravanelli was rubbish, and it you know it doesn't necessarily work that way. So it it's an, it, for me it's an easy cop out. But I don't know how what you think. What how are you ranking? I mean, are you putting Galtier first? I guess is that even a is that is uh, there a doubt? Yeah, I put I put Galtier first because I, from the moment he was named um, as a potential behind Zidane. I, I thought he's going to come with such a chip on his shoulder. He's going to uh, be able to relay that message to his team. He's going to play that card so well that he's going to, uh, like, he is obviously the best signing be- and because he knows Liga, etc. Like, he's, he ticks so many boxes and the one box that he doesn't tick, which is the success in European, is his ambition, his motivation. So it's, it's, a, it's a tick, that, it's a box that's almost better than tick because it's somebody who really wants to shine there. So, yeah, Gatti is probably the best signing. I would agree with you. You know, I think Lebris uh, is probably the one that I'm the most looking forward to uh, because it's great to see somebody who's brought the youth up to first grade, then taking first grade. 
and then yeah, Fav, Tudor, Fonseca, Favre. It's you know, it's a uh, it's a it's a pasta. Your favorite pasta dish that you put in the microwave a little later. Um, so so who knows who knows what that's what's going that's going to do. And Tudor and Fonseca to me is the unknown. Even if Fonseca has done some good stuff, um, yeah. France is such a different uh, beast that he's not going to have much patience on him unfortunately as far as the the, the supporters because the team is still strong uh, so he's going to have to get results straight away Tudor I don't even want to think about it poor guy if he loses two games uh, mm. he's going to be uh, he's going to be called all, all sorts of names uh, so yeah I think the two signings make sense the three other ones are a gamble in uh, in their own reasons that mm. is thank you so much for coming on this podcast and and talking about you know not not necessarily the, the coaches world but a, but a bit of salsa at least in uh in our coaches in Ligue 1. Uh, yeah. and, and look there'll be more off-season episodes so uh, so I, mm. I hope that I can count on you to join me again soon yeah definitely and thanks again for having me always always happy to come feel free to um, you know drop comments ask questions we both would be very happy to answer follow Baptiste mm. and uh, Le Classic Pod on Twitter. Give it a listen. His episode on Galtier is actually uh, very interesting. You learn a bit of the um, Marseille-born coach. <laughs> so good. If Paris Saint-Germain win the Champions League, we'll be able to say that it's a Marseille coach. Uh, anyway, I'll leave that one there to, to finish. Thanks, everyone, for uh, for listening. Thanks, Baptiste. Uh, and I'll be, we'll be with you guys in, in another episode soon.